welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. This segment will be studying the book of Acts, where our risen Christ is made manifest in the early church. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday. We have been walking through the book of Acts now. Granted, there is much more uh, that we could dive in and study, dig our toes in, and, and just uh, a lot, just a wealth of, of God's grace displayed in the early church. And yet we're walking through just a chapter each week. Uh, we're trying to build for ourselves an overarching view of how it is that God has worked. We have seen promises of Christ. Uh, we have seen the gathering, the unity of the church. Um, we've seen uh, the promises displayed, the giving of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the boldness then of those saints in the early church. We've seen in the persecution uh, that comes upon them and, uh, and their great faithfulness. And now uh, we're starting to see all of this mesh and we're seeing the coming together of this work of Christ and just what all he intends to do. And that is greatly magnified in the narrative that we read about this morning. And this is what has come to be known as the Emmaus Road, or I'm sorry, not the Emmaus Road, the Damascus Road experience okay uh and before we we really just um dive into that i just want to remind us uh because of what has been done so often with this text uh before we jump into uh what it means to have your own damascus road experience before we allegorize this remember this is god acting undeniably in history um, and that this is a very real event that occurred with this man, Saul, that radically changed his life and, frankly, the church uh, as we're benefiting even today um, from a number of his writings. I'm going to adjust this mic. I'm trying to tighten my cord a little bit. I apologize. So I welcome you. If you're in Acts chapter 9, uh, stand with your copy of God's Word. And I'm just going to read the first 22 verses uh, to get us started and, uh, and jump into our study together. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were uh, men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, thou Lord? Uh, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority and from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days uh, with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues and he, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. God, we come to you today. And Father, we reflect on your providence, your sovereignty in salvation, in blessing, in holiness. God, that you would bring such a wretch as this man Saul to come to author a great portion of our New Testament. God, we pray that you open this text to us, Lord, that we would experience you in such a real way, that we would step away from, from the notions of fairy tales and we would recognize your very real interaction in that day and in our day. 
Lord, and that we would come to realize the very real repercussions of having a living Lord and Savior. That we would be made aware of your presence in the preaching of your word, in the gathering of the saints, in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Father, that we would have you meet with us today. Father, that we would refuse to leave apart from your presence. God, that you would bless this people that we would hear from you despite my own shortcomings or inabilities. And Father, that your name would be glorified as it was through the preaching of this sinner that we have just read about. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we begin, there is just one glaring reality that confronts us in this story of Saul of Tarsus. And that is that there is no sin too great for the grace of God. This is actually quite typical of a topic to preach on when we come to this text. There's no sin too great. Let's just take an inventory of who Paul Saul, who Paul was. Saul at this point in our narrative. Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. Saul was the one that we read that lots were cast at his feet for the clothes of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. What a guy. One who was terrible. Now, not just a murderer, but a persecutor of the church. One who sought out Christians in order to kill them. So there's no one that is absolutely necessarily outside of the long arm of God when it comes to the power of God to save through Jesus Christ. As we hear the stories of Christians being slaughtered in the streets uh, in Afghanistan, those being imprisoned, disappearing in China, those deported out of other countries. Every one of those persecutors is able, by the grace of God, to be saved. The blood of Christ is sufficient for the greatest offender. And so that's, that is good. Good news for us to realize that whenever, for one, we realize there is none of our sin that was too great for God to, to forgive if we're in Jesus Christ. I mean, for us, the, the Word tells us 
Such were some of you, murderers, fornicators, adulterers, but God. That's good news for anyone. There is nothing in this guy's soul that warrants this grace of God. What a terrible man. He's literally the point of this story, the, the, the occasion for this interaction with his risen Christ is because he's traveling to go and hunt Christians in the synagogue to test them, find them. Who's preaching the name of Christ here? He's done the work in Jerusalem. Now he wants it to carry out to the ends of the earth. There was nothing in him that warranted uh, God to say, uh, you know, there's something good in him and I just want to build it up. There's a flicker. There's a spark and I just need to fan it to a flame. We don't, I don't believe that's true in Saul of Tarsus. There was no sacrament that he could partake of doesn't seem as if God has said, well, he gave sacrifice or, or well, you know, he, he's knowledgeable in the Torah. The only basis of his saving is that you're a wretch and you're persecuting me. But I've chosen to use you. I'm fixing to show you what you'll suffer for my name. And just like what we heard this morning, what Chad read to us out of 2 Corinthians, light shines out of darkness. It shines in the face of Jesus Christ. That was Paul who wrote those words. Let that sink in. There's no sin too great this is why we pray for sinners. It is why we pray for people who have rejected God, who are in rebellion against God because God is this good and this powerful. He can save the Muslim. He can save the, the, the worshiper of Satan. He can save the homosexual or the transgender. He can save anyone whose heart is bitter because of death in the family. And let's take this a step further because Paul wasn't just a thug pursuing sin. He was a man pursuing uh, perhaps even a self-acclaimed righteousness. He wasn't waiting in a back alley uh, pursuing these deeds of darkness. Saul was one who was accepted and praised in the Jewish courts. He was applauded by those he served. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. All of these things. Undoubtedly, the training Paul had, he would have said, I know the Torah. Don't lecture me on God's Word. 
as he would hear these Christians preach. He was there. This magnificent message that Stephen gave that, that, that Brother Chad preached through, he listened to all of this. He was given the whole history. And he scoffed. I know what occurred in those days. I know those words of the prophets better than you do, Stephen. Don't lecture me on the Word of God. Now I want to tell you, there are, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Whenever I confront people, whether they be in sin or whether there's error in, the, in, in their teaching, look, you can't tell me anything about Jesus I don't already know or that I haven't already heard. I mean, have you ever heard that? You ever said that to somebody or to a pastor trying to call you out on sin? Yeah, look, I know. Perhaps you're in that role of the Pharisee, Saul. So we might say that there is no sin too great. Well, there is no scholar too great to be saved. There's no one too knowledgeable who pretends to have it all figured out. Because there is nothing that our eyes can see or that our minds can learn that's just going to save us. There has to be an interaction. Paul, again, 1 Corinthians is a good book. He writes in his first letter, and he says, you can't know this until the Spirit reveals it. One of the most learned men of the Torah, of our Old Testament. And can recite it at great lengths. And he proves it in Scripture whenever he constantly calls upon Old Testament texts. Just like they were on a shelf for him to pick off of. He, he, he knows it so well. And he says, you can't know this. You have to have this revealed to you by God. By His Spirit. That these scales would fall from your eyes. Because salvation is granted not in the ivory towers. It's not delivered to us from, by the scholars. It's delivered to us by Jesus Christ. This is why our children can come to faith. So there is nothing too great. Your arrogance, even, is not too great for God to knock you down, pull the scales off your eyes, and to forgive you. Even against your pride. So among all the people that claim to know the way, we still have a message to preach to them. And so this, if anything, it should magnify our trust in the grace of God, in the ability of God to save. Now, This is altogether important 
Because God so interacts with us in those first moments and along the way. And it must be this way. We must realize this intervention and this coming in of God and of Christ and this work of His Spirit. And it's especially important for this next point in seeing the way Christ is united with the church. Because notice, whenever Paul comes, Saul comes in the way that he is with the intention, the, the, the awful intentions of his heart, Look at the confrontation that Christ gives. He does not say, Saul, why do you come against these for whom I've died? He doesn't say, Saul, look, why why are you so persecuting those whom I love? Those whom I've anointed. Those whom I've... Uh, brought and ushered before the throne those who will live in eternity with me. Those uh, whose sins have been forgiven. He doesn't use any expression like that. Jesus says to him, now all those would have been true. And they're wonderful truths that, that we love to meditate upon, but it is a far greater reality for us to realize and to hear Christ come to Saul and say, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me, Jesus? And if there's any question, when Saul is at the point of stuttering, cast on the ground, uh, not knowing, unable to see, he reckons, what is my offense? Who are you? I could have done anything. When he encounters this greater officer in the kingdom of God, the Christ himself, who are you? I'm the one you're persecuting. These orders to go to Damascus to search out the church, it's me you're persecuting. Christ has identified Himself with the church. When the persecution comes, He steps in the way. He only, they, the world only hates us because they had first hated Him. It is me, Saul, that you are persecuting. Now this is a wonderful, wonderful truth because not only has he gone before the church and he's in, has he interacted with Paul in such the way that he would be overcome, maybe even fearful, of this one who, whose Christ that he unknowingly had waged war against. He's confronted with the general, the owner, the banner holder of the Christian army. But also, it is a great hope to those that didn't even know what was coming. To those Christians that would fear their lives, be forced into hiding or forced to flee or be forced to be whatever, covered in pitch and and burned on the stake or carried in cuffs to Jerusalem for the same or possible beheading. What a wonderful joy 
would it have been for them to hear that Christ himself had stepped in? That Christ had said, it is I, that Christ himself would bear with them in their suffering. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And it is necessary for us to see there is a reason that, that this is preserved for us in the text. That they didn't even get to hear in their day. They would be so fearful of Saul. And let's not downplay that as we would read on and he would go in preaching and then he'd come back to Jerusalem and they would say, look, do we let Saul in? They knew him to be so terrible, they didn't put it past him. How do we know this isn't some undercover operation? How do we know this isn't some great plot of deceit that he would pretend to join our ranks in order to oust us? at the last moment. And it's this message in knowing Christ is one with His church. It is Christ who goes before us, who dwells in us. It is Christ Himself who is persecuted in Saul's action. So it gives us both comfort. It makes us aware of the, the work of God, this, this intervening work of God where Christ comes in, where, where Saul was not deserving of anything. The church uh, was not left to represent themselves. We have this intervention and this sustaining work of Christ. And friends, this is also what gives to us that, that final point in our message this morning is that this unity of Christ necessitates a radical change in nature. What we read in our catechism this morning was that we took and inherited the nature of Adam. And so whenever we speak of putting off the old man, it's not just you and, and, and all of your pitiful judgments of yourself. No, you put off Adam, this entire sinful nature. And we take on the nature of Christ. Something radical has to change. So in Saul, it's obvious. This man came to kill and to persecute, uh, to, to draw to Jerusalem under a, the Sanhedrin and be punished by death. No more. Immediately. Saul had fellowship with the saints. Immediately, Saul broke bread with them. Immediately, uh, Saul was baptized. Immediately, Saul preached Christ. 
Immediately, he went about building up the church. Immediately, he went back to Jerusalem for, for reconciliation and restitution before the body of Christ. Immediately, everything had changed. And his sight was restored. Now, I want to present to you A what if? What if Paul wasn't radically changed? What if Saul wasn't made Paul? What if he held on to some prior understanding of the Torah? Or in his conversion, he backslid. What would that have looked like to the early church? I mean, what do you say? It'd have been okay. We we'll give him three weeks without meeting with us, and then we'll and then we'll send somebody, and we'll kind of see how things are going. Do you think that would have been the case, or would people have died? Would his fellowship been lost? What would have occurred? Would he have been said, this is no work of God? He'd have been cast out immediately for the glory of the name and for the safety of the church. Now let me ask you a question. What if you backslide in the church? What if you've encountered Christ and then you decide this was great uh, but I'm not going to have fellowship with the saints. I'm not going to break the bread with them. Uh, I am not going to uh, participate in any work of the Holy Spirit or uh, I might enjoy a, just a portion, this one area of blindness Maybe I'll keep back one sin that I can repent of later, or I can maybe I can work on that. There's no room for that in a Christian life. None. I've had this talk within my own home. And we see sin when it comes up. We don't rush ourselves to correct our behaviors. We come to Christ. We thank Him for revealing the sin. We repent of it whenever it's made known to us and we leave it. We never turn back and when we do, we get away. We go to our brother in, in, in all gentleness and we call him to repentance. Is the grace of God, but we do not allow we do not allow ourselves that that sort of backsliding or, or 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 any of that any more than what Paul would have. It would have been catastrophic had he done anything but accepted the whole of the nature of Christ. Had he turned from sin, accepted discipline of the Lord, suffered whatever it took, it didn't matter. 
And yet I'm convinced that too many of our homes are plagued with saying that's not, that sin is not so great. We come to the story of Paul and our first action is to pull out our rulers. Say, I haven't murdered anyone. My sin's not as great as his. And yet we find that your pride is all the greater. We don't read in the text that God showed this favor, this kindness, this grace upon Paul. We don't read that Look how bad off he was, so God must show the grace to all of those Jews at the Sanhedrin. None of them had killed people. They didn't come and say, let me go and, and squash out the Christians elsewhere. His sin was far greater, and yet it was Paul, it was Saul, who received the grace of God. So next time you bring out your measuring stick and to say, my sin wasn't as great as so-and-so's, my sin wasn't even as great as Paul's. Surely Christ would forgive me. God will break your ruler and condemn you to hell in your self-righteousness. Get over yourselves and repent of your sin. We want a grace of God. We want to see the hand of God at work. And yet what sin have we left in the dark? What sin does your brother or sister across the aisle don't know about you? That's the sin we're getting at this morning. Because when the line, when the light shines in darkness, the darkness flees it. Accept it. It's sin. This is a sin that I've participated in. Let's not just hurry up and cover it up, correct it, behave better in the future. Repent of it. Get rid of it. Change. Let the, the glory of Jesus Christ be made manifest. Let him have his way. Because there is, there's not much middle ground here. Here are our options. We've got, you can be a Christian, we can meet together, submit to one another, we can build one another up to good works, call one another to repentance, always revealing sin, seeing a boatload of sin come out of us as God graciously weeds it out and, and helps us to put off the old man and put on Christ. And if you're not doing that, you're not a Christian in fellowship with God and Christ apart from the body. You're a Christian who's being disobedient, who needs repentance and rebuke and to be restored. You're in sin, in flagrant sin, if you're not participating in that. And if that's not true, then you're an unbeliever and in need of the same. And so we repent. Repent of whatever sin is left in you. Repent of all of it because there's going to be more that God's going to reveal in time. But if you're holding on to this one, you can rest assured that's the one he wants to kill. As Edward said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And friends, 
this doesn't, nothing about this message leaves you or, or leaves the Christian, the Christian, the one among us who's a believer, who has a sin, that, that it has been uh, un, even unrepentant sin. We have such a blessing in the Word of God that we're called to repentance by our brother. We're called to repentance by two brothers. We're called to repentance before the entire church and we are shown always the light of the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are always drawn to that restitution and if in fact you've called upon the name of Christ, I assure you, you're gonna turn. You're going to be made and conformed into the image of Christ. It's not gonna stop. It might be more painful. But you will be brought to the fullness of the grace of God. You will be brought to maturity. And I'm asking you, avoid the pain. Repent now. And let us come and relish in the glory and the grace of God that He offers us today, every day. And so the object is, is not that you would live in guilt, but that you would walk in newness of life. That's what we see in Saul of Tarsus. It's what we see in the Christians of the early church. And we are going to witness much, much more profound events in even this book that Luke has recorded for us because of that grace and because of that newness of life, that faith and that obedience. And at the end of it all, the reality of the presence of Christ in and among us. And so that is what we should strive toward. And so we close with a word of prayer. And fittingly, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, and I just want to guard you today, because Paul himself tells us, if you have any, if there's any sin left in you that's unrepented, if there's any offense against your brother that you've not forgiven or been reconciled or repented of, don't take this. When you eat and you drink of this, this bread and this, this fruit of the vine, you will eat and drink condemnation on yourself. Don't do it. And yet, brothers and sisters, we see you've got an opportunity to repent now. To lay it down, never return. And so we're going to let our prayer be that of repentance. That we would stop hiding the sin. That we would stop neglecting worship in our homes. That we would, that we would stop making excuses for what is sinful in our life and in our families. We would call it sin and that we would come to Christ. And we would be reminded of that because we as saints need these reminders. We lay aside our guilt and we pick up Christ. We taste the bread and the wine. We eat of his flesh and body uh, as we partake of his teaching. And his atoning work on the cross. We engage in a literal fellowship with our risen Lord and Savior. Apart from the sin that he has removed from us as far as the east is from the west. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we recognize all of us bears sin and iniquity. 
Lord, none of us here is denying that lest we be called a liar. And so, Father, we pray that you look not on our sin, but that you look on the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that that you, um, Lord, that you grant us repentance. That you grant us greater faith. Father, that you forgive us for all of all of our sin, but Lord, all of the ones that we've been protecting, all of the ones that we've been uh, unrepentant. Father, that you create in us a clean heart. Achieve in this church, this, this body, this bride that is here at New Life Baptist, that you give us a purity. Give us robes of white. Lord, that that we not scuff them up and not mar them with more and more sin heaped upon you at the cross. God, let us be a people who rest in your finished work. Let those who see us in our community say, is that not the one? who is so wicked. What a change. And so God, we pray that you prepare our hearts as we repent before you and rely only on the grace offered through your Son. You ready us to take this Lord's Supper and be reminded That you have paid it all. Nothing do we owe. So God, we thank you. And we glory in your name. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationships, and grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single sermon, and come and grow with us.